This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCute, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. In 2005, Sean Hyde was knocked down on the highway after experiencing trouble with his car. He was dragged for almost 900 meters and spent three months in hospital. He's led a relatively normal life since then and achieved so much with a body that simply does not work properly. Learning to walk on its own was a miracle. A few months ago, things started going horribly wrong. He started losing feeling in his legs, and although the feeling is not completely gone, the risk is too high for him to walk as his legs just give way with no warning, and so he has been confined to a wheelchair. Sean has joined us today to speak about the experience, and just to speak about what he's been through, and this miracle that he's had, and and sort of what the future holds. And we always keep things positive, yeah? So it's not going to be heartbreaking and emotional, I hope not. But uh, Sean, it's great to have you in studio, and I think what you've been through for all those years is just absolutely incredible. It's been a journey, it's been a journey. It's up and down. I won't say it's been a bed bed of roses. I've had a a jaw for the last... uh, 14 years um a lot of people a lot of people turn around and say but how can you be so positive and and how can you smile through everything that you've been through all the time and uh you know what i woke up this morning i woke up this morning i'm breathing i've got a family i've got kids i've got uh, i've got a stunning wife she's the mopala so i've got the backing of people like my mother-in-law they drive me around and uh we get up we, we do what we need to do you know, tell me, at, tell at, me, at the end of the day. tell me, in two thousand and five, what exactly happened? I had a blowout. I was driving in in a little bucky, and uh, I was coming down the N twelve, and I had a blowout in on the one rear wheel, and I lost control of, of the van. Um, I swerved across the highway, went up the embankment, came down, hit the barrier, went back across the highway, came back across the highway, and I the bucky eventually stopped under the. I don't know if you know the N12 at all. So if you come back from Boxburg, the highway that comes from the airport, that bridge part, that's where the bucky stopped. The cable that stopped the bucky there. I couldn't find my wallet. I couldn't find my phone or anything um, because the bucky had been all over, rattled all over the place. So I thought, okay, well, I'll take a walk up to Edenvale Road. Um, at at that stage, you could still walk. Everything was... I was, I was still fine. I was still... Um, I was a bit bruised and a bit shocked in, in uh, a bit of shock as as I think you would anybody would feel from getting flung around. But I thought okay I'll I'll take a walk up to there's that BP garage at Sunny Ridge. Um I'd take a walk up there, give my father a call and say, Listen, I've this is what's happened. Can you come and help me? And I took a walk and it's one o'clock in the morning. Big mistake. Um Listen, don't don't walk on the highway. <laughs> At the end of the day, um, back then there wasn't emergency lanes. The, the emergency lane was maybe twenty centi, twenty five centimeters wide from the yellow line to the grass. Um, the grass strip. The grass strip in the yeah. center. And uh, so I, I took a walk up, and as I got to the top of the hill, where where you can see both sides of of the highway, so you can see the west and the east bank. I looked I, as as I put my foot onto the yellow line and caught me. Um, did did the car literally come out the, of nowhere? The car, the, I just I saw headlights. Um, that's the last thing I remember was was seeing headlights. The rest of 
what I'm going to tell you is is done through investigation. So, so the investigating officer, so they've got accident investigators that look at everything. Um, they said that the blood trail and the skid marks, I was stuck under a car. So they, uh, so I was dragged, <coughs> sorry, I was dragged for five, five or 900 meters or something. Um, the car spat me out. My bottom half was in the fast lane. My top half was in the middle lane. And uh, three cars drove over me. They say three cars, but it could be one car with three different ty- set of tires. The clothes, the tire treads on the clothes um, were three different treads that they had pulled off. So, so, so after, you'd, you'd, after you'd rolled your car, you, yeah. you were walking on the highway. Uh, you then wanted to cross the highway. A car hit you, dragged you up to 900 meters. Yeah. You lay on the road and then either one car or three cars still drove over you. Correct, correct. Over over the bottom half of me. So luckily they didn't drive over the top of me. So they, they just kept driving over the bottom half. A gent by the name of Henny, he came down the middle lane. He nearly drove over my head. So he swerved out at the last minute because he realized that there's this human being laying in the road. He reverse parked his van or whatever he was driving. As far as I remember, he said he was driving a little van with his partner. And he parked in the middle of the, basically with me in the center. So no cars could hit me anymore with his hazards on. And he shouted at his partner, phone the ambulance, phone the ambulance. There was another car parked on the side of the highway with two young ladies in it that had phoned the ambulance already. And they were screaming at the ambulance service or emergency service that cars keep driving over this man. Please can somebody get there. I know you don't remember because of trauma, but... From what people have told you, were you still awake um, this whole Henny, when, when I spoke to Henny, he says I was in and out of consciousness. Um, he says, because he ran up to me, he put his hand on my throat to feel if, I was, if there was a pulse, if I was still alive, and I grabbed his hand. He stuck his two fingers down my throat to pull out the tar and sand and stuff, and I just started screaming for my dad. And then I'd pass out, and then I'd wake up, and I'd pass out. And I didn't... Um, when I had spoken to Henny a couple of a couple of months after, he said that I wouldn't let his hand go until the paramedics got there. So I woke up in that time. I woke up and I looked up at the stars, and I still said to myself, "That's a beautiful sky," because I could see the stars. That the highway's dark, and I put my hands down next to my body, and I try to get up, and it's like I can't move. And I looked down, and I could see my right, my left foot. I could see the underneath. I could see the bottom of my left foot on the side of my leg. And I was like, that's not good. <laughs> and then I tried to get up and I looked down and I could see my intestines laying next to me. I know it sounds disgusting, it sounds terrible, but I could. Just, and that's when I laid down and I thought, okay, um, I, I think I'm done. And that's, that's the very last thing that I remember. So I, I can only try, and, and the listeners as well, can only try to put themselves in that position. Because it's so, it it feels so overwhelming hearing the story. Mm. From that slight moment, if you go back to two thousand and five, was it surreal? When you was it just was it like being in a movie? Were it you, was. It, it was like I wasn't. It was like I wasn't even in my body. It was like I was looking down. If I look back at it now, it was like I sat next to myself watching myself. Um. Back there, I, I can't, I can't explain the pain. It's like my children ask me, but how sore was it? Especially my, especially my boys. It's like, 
every person is different. If you stomp your toe and I stomp my toe, the pain that you feel is different to the pain that I feel. I can't tell you how much pain it was. I can tell you that it was really sore, but I can't explain how sore it was. I'm sure it was sore. Well, if you, I mean, if, and I'm, I'm totally assuming because I'm, I don't have a even a doctor's letter you must have hit your head so you were you were in and out of a consciousness because of that but also from the pain correct um, the, it literally knocks correct. you I out had, i had a i had a huge gaping hole in in the bottom of my back where the intestines my uh, spleen had burst my bell had burst my spine had broken in two places um with the cars driving over me my pelvis hips were shattered my um, right leg was broken in twenty-four places, eleven places. <laughs> it's um, I'm I'm a little bit, I'm almost in shock because it's it's a lot to take in to hear that someone uh, to hear that someone's been through that and they've survived. And not only have they survived, but they're sitting across from you today. Like it's yes. just a lot for me to take in. How old were you at the time? Uh, I was twenty-five. And you were working, and you were sort of. Um, I just started a job. I'd be likely to get a job. And I just started working. I'd been working as a truck driver for a tree company. So I was driving a truck for them at the time. And I'd only been with them for two weeks. So, and, and then this happened. But lucky, like I said, I, I had a lot of backing. A lot of backing. A lot, a lot of backing. So I'm jumping back and forward here, but I'm just trying to put the whole picture yeah. together. So Henny, um, Henny was there and there were these two girls there and they phoned the ambulance and then the ambulance the came. Ambulance, okay, so then the ambulance got there. The paramedics in the ambulance got there. They then brought the backboard out. They turned me onto my side to put the backboard down. And the paramedic looked at his partner and said, no, no, no. Went and got a bunch of sheets, folded the sheets to put in the hole. Because the only thing keeping my top half and my bottom half together were my stomach muscles. Because everything else was ripped. Everything. And when I mean everything, everything. Okay. So they put sheets in, put me on the backboard. That's when they called for the helicopter. At that stage, I still had a medical aid card. But because I wasn't working, I had stopped paying them. So I had defaulted on the medical aid. And they were just going under the... Under the fact that you had a card. The they, they were I've like, got a card, I must, I must have medical aid. So they airlifted me from there. My heart stopped with a paramedic on the road, uh, waiting for the helicopter. So they resuscitated me on the road. The helicopter got there. They resuscitated me in the helicopter on the way to the Union Hospital. I got to Union Hospital... By five o'clock five in the morning. Five in the morning. So this happened at like one, one half past one in the morning. morning, and a couple of hours later, four four hours later, you you eventually get to the hospital. You eventually get to the hospital after paramedics have now resuscitated and pumped me full of of medication and got me st- stabilized as as much as I could on the road or in the helicopter. And uh, the one nurse at the union said, "I don't care what number you give me, just give me numbers. I need to get hold of someone." And the only number that actually worked was my sister's number, and she stayed down the road from the union. She came up to the hospital, her husband, herself, and my nephew. He was still an infant. They came up to the hospital. She gets to the hospital, and they won't let her come through the ER. They won't let her see me. So automatically, and they've pulled her into one of the, the, one of the rooms. So she thinks the worst. She thinks the worst, because now they're waiting for my father. They say, you need to get hold of your father. Your dad needs to come through. We're not going to let you see your brother until your dad gets here. Now, of course, the worst is going through the head. And eventually my dad gets there. And the doctor comes out to see them before they go into the into the back to see me. doctor says, listen, this is the story. Sean, I don't know if he's going to make it. You're going to have to go and say goodbye. Simple. Sorry. 
It's um, it's a lot of trauma, and uh, I know that it happened so many years ago. But literally, I'm listening to the story and I'm reliving it with you, and I can hear that it's incredibly, um, it's incredibly tough what you and the family had to go through uh, back then. Um, there's certain there's certain spots that uh, that open up. So the doctor said, to "My dad, say goodbye." He said, nope. <laughs> no, that's not happening. Not today. No, not today. I know my son. My son's a my son's a beast. And that's 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 not him. He's not giving up. And they walked into the back. I was laying on my stomach because I couldn't put me on my back. I was laying were on my you, stomach. Were you conscious no. now or was this still was, a was, retelling of the story? Um this is the, this is them. This okay. is my dad and the stories that, that I've heard through nurses and doctors and, and family. And um, my dad said when he walked into the emergency room, I was laying on my stomach because I couldn't put me on my back because I had this gaping hole and, and all the damage. And my head was a size. He says it was bigger than a rugby ball, but it was the same shape as a rugby ball because it was bounced around so much. And he, he thought the worst as well, but he wouldn't give up. And my sister went berserk. And he walked up and he said, just calm down. He's still breathing. You can see on the monitor. He's still breathing. He's got a heartbeat. He's fine. Just give him a kiss and... Tell him we'll see him later. They took me to theater. I was in theater for eight hours, nine hours. I was, it was like almost the whole day I was in theater. It was just trying to keep me alive. Because as much blood as they were pumping into me, that's as much blood there was just pouring out. Eventually, they, I had, I think it was three phenomenal doctors. It was Dr. Butalis, Dr. Somewhere. Um, there was a whole, a whole bunch of doctors that saved me. Well, I, I mean, the, if if I hear and and we look at in South Africa and specifically in Johannesburg, the Union Hospital is well known for for trauma and for emergencies. They are. Um, they're they're they very are. well known. They are. They are amazing. They are phenomenal. I was then put into ICU. I can't recall how many times I was back in theatre in in that seven days. I was back in theatre two or three times. I, I, I could Im- I could imagine that they had to do things almost like a, a project timeline yeah. to go. Let's fix this now so we can save him. Uh, we can fix the broken leg later. Correct. Let's let's put the, the insides back in and and make sure that they're so there would have been some sort of process. Correct. That so they, so they couldn't um, they couldn't put any fixators or metal in my body because I had burst my bell. So there was a lot of gunk, a lot of feces that had run through the body. So they cleaned everything out. My insides were in a bowl next to me under under a sheet in the ICU. So when people came to visit me, the nurses or doctors would say, don't touch the bed. You can give him a kiss or rub his head, but do not touch the bed because his insides are in, in a bowl next to him, which was fine because you couldn't see anything because it was covered in a sheet. And uh, my father says he's, he's one recollection and he didn't leave the hospital. He lost almost as much weight as I did because <laughs> he wouldn't leave. The nurse eventually said to him, listen, you've got to go home. You're starting to smell. <laughs> and, and he said, okay, fine. And he went and got in his car. He slept in the parking lot and he'd come back at the next visiting hours. He says to me that the one day there was this young girl that would come visit me or come see me. She came to see me the first time and my heart rate went through the roof because that was one of my ex-girlfriends and my heart rate went like skyrocket. And he walked in and he said to her, listen, you need to get out. No, you need to get out. You need to get out. And she turned around, she walked away, and he put his hand, he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I'm here. And my heart rate just dropped, and it just stabilized. And and he said, it was just weird that every time he walked in, I would just stabilize. Wow. Because I was in a medicated coma, because they, they medicate you 
for that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, so that you can heal. Yeah, so you can heal. And uh, he says it was just every time he came in, I would stabilize and I'd be fine. And it was seven days, six or seven days afterwards that they discovered now, not at the medical aid, because now they're sending forms oh, to the medical gosh. aid. Oh, gosh. And the medical aid go, they find the medical aid and they say, Mr. Hyde um, is with us. We're not getting payment. And it's like, no, well, we can't pay you because he's faulted on payment on his side. And now we sit with them because now it's like 1.7, 1.8 million rand worth of medical. A- and you're in a in a coma. So like a coma. there's not much that you can do right now. No, no, I can't, I can't do anything. <laughs> I, I wasn't even eating in those seven days, which I don't understand. But 1.8 million is worth a life, I suppose. Yeah. And um, I don't know what they call him. James Bean, like a customer relations officer or something at the at the union. He arranged that I was transferred to the Follateng in the Joburg General Hospital. So I was transferred to the Follateng. There, a doctor by the name of Dr. Cart, Richard Cart, took over. He had come and seen me a couple of times in the union, and he had taken over. I was going into theatre twice a week for debridements just to clean out the wound because there was still a lot of gunk. Were you, were you conscious at this point? No. Still not. When they first transferred me, I was, I was still unconscious. I was still in the medicated coma. Two days after I had gone into Follateng, they reduced the medication. And uh, Dr. Tilly, the specialist that runs the Follateng section, he said, okay, let's, let's wake him up. I remember waking up and I looked at my sister. My sister was next to me, next to the bed. And that was just tears. She, she was just broken. And uh, I looked at her and I was like, why are you crying? I don't understand. I, I really don't understand why. Why are you? Yeah, I, I guess when you woke up, you're like, "I'm awake. What's the problem?" Like, I'm, 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 I'm hundreds. <laughs> I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I can't move, but I'm laying here. And um, at that time, myself, myself, my wife Julie, we were dating. We hardly knew each other. We grew up together, uh, but we didn't know each other. We like pass each other, and. Uh, my sister Jackie turned around and she said, do you recognize who this is? And I looked at her and I said, not really. I said, but she's got beautiful blue eyes though. And she said, this is Julie, Glennis's daughter. Oh, okay. She says, but you haven't changed even though you've been through everything. <laughs> like, yeah, a man's got to try what a man's got to try. Has she, I mean? did, did she come through to the hospital to see you? Julie actually came through to the hospital to be with Jackie, to be with my right, sister, to, right, to actually be to be the strength for my sister. And we, we speak about it often. And she says when she didn't actually know me, uh, she she knew me as as this party animal, as the loudmouth at get-togethers and, and that kind of thing. She so we came from different backgrounds yeah. and upbringings and that kind of thing. And uh, she she basically came to the hospital just for Jackie. And then when she walked in and she saw me. As you know, she was like, no. There's something there. There's something there. There's something that, doesn't there's the something universe work in mysterious ways, right? Proper. It does. Proper. So are we getting a little bit of track? So you were in this hospital for three months. Correct. You were in the um, hospital for three months in re- rehabilitation. The first time I remember waking up was maybe two months into my hospital stay. That was in the May. I was transferred to the Follateng. I would say the beginning of July. I actually realized... 2005. 2005. That I actually realized I'm actually in hospital because I was so heavily medicated. Um, I also got a, uh, I got a virus. I picked up a virus in that time, MSRA. What it does is it eats all your healthy flesh. My, body would, my body would generate new skin 
and, and try and fix itself. And as quick as it was fixing itself, it was eating itself. You went through this car accident and then you got pulled by another car and then you got driven over by another car and then you yeah. got put in a hospital and then you got moved to another hospital and then as you're healing, it's like one thing after another. It's just not easy. No, no. So Dr. Kite, he wouldn't give up either. They said that if it, this MSRA virus got to a certain amount in the bloodstream, that's when they stopped the antibiotics because then there is no antibiotics in the world that's strong enough to fight this virus. And I got like, I think it was 3% below this this maximum mark. And he's, he said to my dad, I'm not giving up on your son. And they put me with this antibiotic. That gave me, it was like, I had got a second layer of skin, but head to toe, where I was just red. And my skin was peeling like I had been sunburned because of this antibiotic. But it worked with the Lothenbach irrigation system. So I can remember all these big words. It's really <laughs> nice. So a Lotenbach irrigation system is a drain and a drip on the left side, a drain and a drip on the right side. You'd lay on your left side and it would drain. And then two hours later, or an hour swap later, over. swap over to the other side. And they would do that for every every hour, every two hours. I would lay on the left side, right side, never on the back, never on the front. Eventually, this solved the virus. The virus had disappeared. That's incredible. It was like phenomenal. He was happy. Everybody was happy. I'm still sedated. I'm still as high as... A kite. Proper. Proper. <laughs> um, it's like, I'm so high that the TV that, that's in the ward goes around the bed. That, that, the one story I remember is they took me to the theater, but I was laying on a Chesterfield lounge, couch, sleeper thing. And they put me into theater, you know, on a couch. And then the one day I was on a hammock. Right, As he's not speaking to himself. His mother-in-law's in the studio with so, him. So sorry, yes, yeah, sorry. Just letting sorry. you know, sorry, I'm not high now. <laughs> not, not anymore. Unfortunately, they won't give me those drugs. <laughs> they said they said that it's, uh, it's very addictive. You know what? Actually, I'm laughing because because your doctor, I'm sure it's Doctor Kite. He was in the video, right? Yes. So yes. Doctor Kite said you are one of the funniest human beings he has ever come across, and he is in awe. Of how positive you have stayed and how incredibly positive you are, even though you, you've been through this crazy traumatic experience. And I can feel it in studio. You are literally making me laugh. A lot of people still today, 14 years later, go, how can you be so happy? Your life has changed so much. You, you're in a wheelchair now. Aren't you upset that somebody drove over you and left you for dead? No. You've actually no, just ra- you've just raised a really a really big question. Did they ever find the no. per- they never found not, the person? Not one of the people that stopped. Not not oh, I mean not or one of the one people, people that, that drove over me had stopped. Not one of them. The, the two young ladies that stopped on the side of the highway, they came to see me once in the following. They never ever came back. They, they actually told me that they ate my KFC. I ate KFC <laughs> in my van that I stopped and bought. And then she said, I said that's fine. You could eat my KFC. I said, there was nothing wrong with it, right? And she said, no. She says, but her thought was, well, he's not going to eat it oh and it's going to go to waste. So she ate it. Oh my I said, gosh. that is perfectly fine. That's crazy. I said, I said that's as, as long as you're happy. Um, same as Henny. I, I got hold of Henny once or twice and, and I understand where he's coming from. He said it's... For him, it must have been traumatic. He's, he doesn't want to see me. And I understand it, and I, and I get his point, and I, Must have been and I understand it. It's just it's it's crazy that um that someone literally rode over you and drove away, and that they've never been caught. But I don't want to get into that. We're not we're not here for that. This is for the good news. Yes. So three months afterwards, you leave hospital and you can walk. No, not yet. Not yet. Not but yet. I wake up and I and I've got a colostomy bag. Um, I don't know. 
for any any of the listener, if you, if you don't know what cordyloris bag, your intestine or your your belt it comes to your stomach and your feces go into the bag. And I had I've got a scar that runs from my breastplate all the way down about five, maybe four centimeters above my groin area. I've got this long cut down the front where they went in from the front to fix everything. And I looked at my dad when, when I had woken up because I, I I'd been awake. I just wasn't awake. Yeah, awake. you were you weren't compass mentis. Correct, were, yeah. correct. And now I've I realised, and my dad walks into the ward, and I pull the sheet back, and I say to him, "Dad." He says, "What's it, my boy?" I said, "What the hell is that? Why is my poo in a bag on the outside of my stomach?" Because <laughs> no one had explained to me, no one had told me what had yeah. happened to me, and that's when uh, my dad and my sister, and a psych- I think it was a psychologist, came through. And they had told me what happened because to me, I I got hit by a train. Mm. I, I thought I was driving the truck, and I had to go over the train track to a dump to dump. It's crazy what the mind does the um, mind to try is and phenomenal. yeah yeah just to try and cope. Yeah. It's like a coping mechanism to to help you through the trauma and to help you what you've been through so that you can get better and then get to a point where you can deal with the reality. Correct. So it is it is amazing what the Correct. mind does. I used to argue with with my dad as well where I said somebody beat me and they tied me down that I couldn't move and they put me into one of the army trucks. From, but underneath, underneath this army truck, they put me into the truck from underneath. And, and I couldn't move and I was screaming at them to let me go. And they wouldn't let me go. And you weren't there to help me. You weren't there to protect me. You were supposed to be my father. Only to realize a couple of months after that, that that was the paramedics that had tied me down to the backboard. That I yeah. couldn't move my hands. And they were putting me into the helicopter. Good grief. <laughs> so there was a lot of these things that, that I look back at and I, and I laugh at them. At, at you the, have to. You now are leaving okay. hospital. I'm, I'm leaving hospital. It was two days short of three months. The doctor said that I'm going to be there for six months minimum. Rehab for 12 months thereafter. I've done it in three. I was like, no. Not I'm, today. Not today, my friend. I need a steak or something. This jelly is just, <laughs> no good. It's no good. You must understand, I went from 125 kg man to the day that because they weigh you before you leave I was under 50 I was like 42 or 43 kilograms when I left the hospital I was like skin and bone and um, so my dad so we put in the wheelchair and off we go we go home go to my late grand because we were like that if we were sick I want my grand I want to sit on my grand's lap and at the age of 26 I still sat on her lap he took me to my grand's house first before we went home and he picked me up and he put me down on my grand's lap and I gave her a hug and a kiss, and then I went home. That was fine. I saw my grand. I was, I was, I was good. We got home, and that's where life kind of changed. That's where I came to realize, because then you don't have the nurses. You don't have 24-hour help around, and life has to go on. And I get that. I understand that people can't be around you all the time, and people have their lives to to do. You, they got work. They they got to look after their families and, and that kind of thing. But also, so, also, you're, you say it in the broad stroke of, of sort of the sentiment is that life has changed. But really, I, I get that life has changed for the people around you. But for you, your, it, your entire way of living has changed. Because all of a sudden, you're not able to drive. You, you need I to learn how to get from your chair to the bed. Your house might not be… Um, they, they actually moved. To, we, to, we, we stayed we stayed in a block of flats in, in Alberton North 
flats that had nine units in it. So it wasn't it wasn't this huge block of flats. But we stayed on the second floor. There's nowhere to get there. There was nowhere to get there. And my father had arranged with the owner of the flats that one of the flats on the ground floor had gone empty in the time that I was in the hospital and he had spoken to the, to the landlord or the owner and he they had moved downstairs. So it was easier for me to get access in and out, even though I wasn't going to be going anywhere. And then I was a lot of things still like now it's back again where I can't tie my shoes. Those little things that you take for granted. So, I mean, this is why we have you in studio today is because we're skipping along a little bit, but your body did get better. It did get better. And yes. you went into rehabilitation no. and no rehab. No rehab. I didn't have medical aid. I didn't have the funds. Do they not have government rehabilitation? No. No government what? rehab. They don't have government rehab. Uh, that we'll, that we'll, for me is absolutely shocking. <laughs> we will get to the government side, which which is, and I can understand where they're coming from with the government side. But I'll get into that with you now as well. Um, How did you then get to a place where you were walking? Frustration. I got to a point where I was in a wheelchair on my own. Sean, you're telling me yes. that <laughs> your spine was broken. In two uh, places. In, yeah, your spine was broken <laughs> in two places. Yes. You had to get multiple operations to put your body back together. Yes. And you're telling me that you started walking again out of frustration. Yes. That is a miracle. Yes. Doctor turned around and said to my dad that I would never walk again. He said, we're not going to do a hip replacement because they wanted to do a hip replacement back in 2005. And the doctor turned around and said, Sean's never going to walk again. So what's the damage. point? So what's the point of spending money? On a hip replacement where we can take that money that you're going to use and use it for anesthetists or the debridements or something else to, to get him stable. And my father said, that's perfect. Take me back to this day. Did it happen gradually or was it literally just a… Gra- uh, gradually. I was on my own quite a bit when, when I got home. There, there were people in and out come visit me. And like they say in Afrikaans, naskirakheit. Mischievous. Correct. So the people who come in just to see the man that got hit by three cars and he survived, kind of a thing. But that also died down. So I'm, I'm in the wheelchair. I got out of bed and I got into the wheelchair and I wheeled myself through the flat. I put the kettle on to make myself some coffee. Now it's a bit higher for my arms. And I picked the kettle up and I, and I started pouring my mug of coffee because of the counter can't high. See. You can't see. So, of course, I've overfilled the cup and it's hot water and coffee all over the counter now. Now I've got to, now I've got to clean this counter. Now I'm frustrated and I'm, and I'm starting to get depressed. You know what? What you're saying is, is we take for granted. Because if I spill a cup of coffee, get a cloth and wipe it. But for you, if I can give the listeners an idea, think of if you're looking at a counter and it's at eye level. Correct. You can't, everything's 100 times harder. Correct. At that point, I was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this at eye level anymore. I feel like this little child that's waiting for my daddy to come home from work to make me a meal, to make me coffee, or somebody to come visit me so they can make us coffee. And I put my hands on the counter, and I stood up. And I held myself on the counter with one hand, and I made my coffee with the other hand, and I sat down, and I drank my coffee, and I thought, well, there we go. If I can do that, I can, my gosh. I did stand once in the hospital because the physiotherapist did come to the hospital. Now I'm jumping back to the hospital again. The physiotherapist came through and Dr. Kai said we we must mobilize him. So I'd been laying flat for two and a half months and she set me up the first day and I was sitting up for maybe 30 seconds and I was like, no, boink, and I fell back down, fell over. And she came back the next day. 
and we sat up again. And then she said, we're going to try and stand today. It was like a week later. And I said, we're going to do this. Yes, we're going to do this. And it was, she was quite short, but she was stocky. Quite a hottie, actually. <laughs> Athletic body. <laughs> like most physiotherapists. He says with his mother-in-law sitting next to him. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> she knows. She met her. Listen, listen, listen. It's not, I proposed to my mother-in-law before my wife. Oh, I so, love this. So, I love this. Come on. I, Cra- I, craziest interview if, I've if ever you done. Brought me, if you brought me chocolate or food or you used to bring me milk and chocolate, right? <laughs> every Friday. Every Friday. Every Friday, I'd get a slab of, of chocolate. and, and, and Sean, we're jumping around. Sean, we're anyway, okay, anyway, so, so, so she picks me up. Yes. So she picks me up. And, and so I'm sitting on the bed. She stands in front of me. She puts her hands under my arms and she says one two three and we stand and the amount of pain that i felt felt like i was hit by a chain that just went through the lower part of my back and all of a sudden i'm standing behind myself Hmm. i'm behind myself i'm holding myself up at the back of my head looking at her face holding myself up and it felt like i had been standing for 10 minutes meantime i was uh, she only let me stand for maybe a minute and put me down again that was about it as far as as the walking part uh, went, I did. But even even though that had happened in hospital, the doctor's prognosis was still that still, you would never walk. I would, I would never. So walk. he'd he'd seen the reports on that, and and the fact that you couldn't really stand, and you'd felt the pain, and he'd known what section of your spine you'd broken. Correct. So they they'd sort of had this diagnosis that you would never walk. Correct. Again. That, that that was orthopedic surgeon, orthopedic specialist's opinion. But it's the same as Doctor Dominique saw me. He came and saw me once, and he said. I'm, I'm regret to tell you that you'll never have children again. He said everything was ripped off. And, and course, you didn't have kids at that no, stage? No, I did. I had, I had two beautiful children, Sebastian and Savannah, with my previous wife. He said that it was ripped off. It was off. It was, it was being held on by maybe one nerve and a little bit of skin. And uh, he said, I've done my best. He says, to my knowledge and to my practice and to all my studies, he says, I put everything back as good as I could. And I said, as long as you've done something, Doc. And uh, he said, if it does work, you'll never have kids again because your tubes and everything were severed. But again, I'm going to tell you, I put everything back as good as I, as my knowledge allows me to, as, lo- as, as my hands allow me to. And I said, that's perfect. Julie doesn't like me telling the story. She says, you can't tell that story. It's, it's his wife. For it's my wife. To know. Uh, at the time, she wasn't my wife. She wasn't even my girlfriend at the time. And uh, he left that afternoon, and she came to visit me. And now you must understand, I had a fixator, an external fixator through the pelvis at that point. And I said to her, after a lot of talking backwards and forwards, I said to her, just for medical science. <laughs> my God, I know where this is going. <laughs> you know where it's going, right? <laughs> See? <laughs> See, even my mother puts her head down because she knows <laughs> the story. Sean, this it. is a PG show. This is a PG okay. show. So, so she she done it anyway. <laughs> she done it anyway. Okay. <laughs> And Stu's Bob, it worked. It worked. I hit the button. I hit the alarm. I I hit that siren. I I almost pushed my thumb through that siren that you get to call a nurse. That's so funny. And it stopped. We we didn't finish anything. (laughs) I just wanted to see if it worked. That's all. I didn't want to see. And it worked. It it worked. I didn't do anything after that. (laughs) The nurse came running in. The nurse Um, said, what is wrong? I said, I want to go home. His mother-in-law didn't want to be on air today, but she's (laughs) sitting here and she has her head, her hands wrapped over her head. Um, She can't actually look at me or Sean. This is, I'll say this, this is the most ridiculous interview I've ever had. (laughs) Ridiculous.
<laughs> um, and and I, was, I was perfectly happy. I was perfectly happy. It, it works. Yeah, it, well, we all we're all thankful <laughs> that, it, that it worked. It um, works. And uh, you have had kids since then. Um, yes. 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 So it really works. It, it really does work. That's because amazing. I I saw Doctor Som, uh, Doctor somewhere a few years later, and I said he owes me some money, and he said why? I said because you said I will not have children again, so therefore I did not use protection because I cannot have kids, and I've got a beautiful set of twins. 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 That's Emily amazing. That's amazing. Um, okay, but, but I've got two big things to ask. One, yes. medical aid. So the first bill was worth whatever the amount is. Did you have to pay that off? What um, happened? We claimed through RAF, a road accident fund claim. That was all settled. How the RAF worked at that time, I know that it's changed since then. They worked on merits. So I, I won the case with a 40% merit, 60% to blame. So I was 60% to blame. The reason for that was... You were I walking sh- on the highway. walking on the highway. Got you. Dark, that kind of thing, which I accepted, which it's perfectly fine. It makes sense. It's logical. There again, we requested because the file is now in Pretoria. My file is in Pretoria, and that's a bit of a distance for me to travel. And I can't travel that far at the moment. It hurts too much to get it transferred to Joburg because on that there's a, t- a certificate. So I can claim for anything like now for the hip replacement. If well, th- this is why you're in the studio today. So you went through this process, and I'm, I'm speeding up the story a little bit, but you went through this process where you were so frustrated that you put yourself in a position where you could learn and teach yourself how Correct. to walk again. You managed to do that. You managed to create an amazing life for yourself Correct. for the past 14 years. Correct. And a couple of months ago, something went wrong. I was sort of working as a coffee technician on the coffee side, Aquaspresso side, carrying heavy coffee machines, like 30, 35 kg coffee machines. Again, take a step back. If you're listening, he couldn't walk. And now he's carrying massive (laughs) things. And up and down stairs with water bottles and and coffee machines and that kind of thing. I would get sore once, twice a month I'd get sore, but I'd write it off because now my mindset, I'm walking, I'm relatively... It's been 14 years. It's been 14 years and um, I'm healthy. I hardly get sick. I hardly get the flu even. So I, I kept going to the clinic because I still don't have medical aid. Because medical aid, three and a half thousand rand a month. And then they exclude everything. They exclude my hips, my back, my pelvis, everything that I actually need. So what's the point of me paying three and a half thousand rand when I can go to the state hospital, state clinic, and whatever the case is. So I was going to the state clinic in Bedford View. I was there so often the nurse eventually knew my name. She said, Sean, come through to my consulting room to have a look. And she opened my phone. She said, listen, you've been here too often. I can't give you anything more for pain. I need to refer you. I said, that's fine. And I, I went through to the Joburg. They said they don't do x-rays anymore on our patients. You've got to go to Hilbra for x-rays. Move again. Move again. From there, I went to Edenvale. Edenvale Hospital, because Edenvale does everything. Again, through the whole triage thing. And at that point, I still believed that it was muscle. Yeah, you're like, I've just pulled I've, something. I've pulled something in my back or whatever. And I'm walking. I'm standing. I'm I'm standing in this queue. And all of a sudden, my legs go dead and I just fall over. People around me are picking me up and holding me. And humanity really shows at that point where people are really helping of you. And people make space on a bench for you to sit and, and that kind of thing. So I, I saw the doctor take the x-rays back. Did and you tell him about your accident 14 yes. years ago? Yes, and he got very upset. because You just walk in blind and go, I've got a sore back. I went in and I told her, I said, listen, I've got a cramp in, I've got a cramp in my, the right hand side of my back. And, and he was like, oh, well, what did you do? Well, I was in a very bad car accident 14 years ago. 14 years ago. And he said, but why didn't you go to the Joburg Gen? And I said, I did. And they referred me, yeah. And he was really upset. He said, I should have went. They should have 
taken me at the job because my file and everything is there with them. I said, well, this is this is where I am now. And he looked. At, he picked up the X-rays and looked at the X-rays and he said, you've really stuffed it up. Your right hip, pelvis, and lower spine are all fused together. I said, okay. Well, what do we do? He said, you have to go through the ortho, orthopedic section. I said, okay. Let's let's get this done. Go make a booking. They gave me a booking for June. That was in April. I was like, okay. You're in pain. I'm in You're pain. You're now falling over. I got to wait until June to actually see somebody that specialises in bones. That's fine. I go home. Julie then gets hold of Dr. Richard Cart because he's my doctor. Mm-hmm. He doesn't work in state anymore. He only does private practice now. He says, no, I must go to the spinal clinic at the Jobbik Gym. Perfect. After 30 phone calls, 30 phone calls, Julie eventually gets to speak to someone. They can help her. Gives an appointment for the 28th of January, 2020. Sorry, what? 28th of January, 2020 is the first time they can see me. That is not to do anything else Just except a consultation. for a consultation. They said if anything else proceeds, the next appointment would then be August of 2020. Then my company, they've been very helpful. They paid for me to see Dr. Khan privately and for x-rays to be done or whatever the case is so we could get the ball rolling. Dr. Khan then sent me for x-rays. And he said the same thing. Do you want to touch my spine? He's not going to look at my spine. He said, we have to do the hip replacement first, and then we can look at the spine. He says, so so you have, you have no idea what, what the future holds and what operations need to happen. No. You know that there's a problem. Yes. You know that you're now today back in a wheelchair. I, I knew that I was going to end up in a wheelchair. I just didn't know it was going to be this soon. But now, now you need the operation, now and I that's why we have you in studio today is because uh, the way that I came across your story is your daughter started a fundraiser for you. Correct. Um, how old is she? 17. 17. And what did she do? She raffled one of her drawings. She's, she's an, an artist? She's an artist at JP Girls. She is a phenomenal artist. And she said, well, I want to do a picture for my dad that we can raffle off. And we've done that, and we raised 10,000 rand within a week. That's amazing. And that's how we've been going, is, is trying to raise these funds. What, what is the amount that we need to get to? Cause Just so, you, so we don't know exactly, right? You need a hip replacement now. A hip replacement now. But we don't know what the, what the future holds. Yes. Um, there is spinal damage, but we don't know what the extent of spinal damage there is. So we could do the hip replacement and not be able to do anything on the spine and end up in the wheelchair anyway. So it's, it's all like a bit of a gamble. The hip replacement, if I do it privately, so if I do Which it... Which you're opting for because you don't want to wait until correct. August 2020. If I do it privately, anything between 250 and 300,000 rand, if I do it through the Follett thing with Dr. Khan, between 200 and 250,000 rand, which is 50,000 rand less than, than the private. But I don't have 250,000 rand. Even if I do get the certificate from the RAF, they're only going to pay 40% of that, which still leaves about 180,000 rand that I would have to find somewhere. And I said to him, okay, so what if we do it through the state? And Dr. Khan said, that's fine. He says, a minimum of five years waiting. Five years? Five years. Five years waiting before I would have a hip replacement. And that's if I fit the criteria. Because what they do is they take the patients, they take like 5,000 hip replacements. And they say, okay, who's the, who's the candidate? And right now, with my spinal damage, 
not knowing how much damage is on the spine, they will rather give that hip to somebody that they can do a hip replacement and they know for, for certain that that person is going to get up and walk and live a, live a normal life instead of giving it to someone that they're going to do a hip replacement and they're not going to be able to use the hip anyway in the next four months or five months. Sure. Again, it's a, it leaves a bit of a bitter, a bitter taste or bitterness in the mouth. Where if you've got the money and you put the money down on the table, we'll do whatever you want us to do because we've got the money. But if you don't, then I'm sorry for you. But it, but you you're not you're not completely left hopeless because there no. is hope within there, there you. Is, there is, and your course. your support structure are all there helping you. Yes. I mean, your your beautiful yes. mother-in-law drove you here today and got of to course. listen to very uh, stories that made her cry. And then stories that made her really cry. Yes. And your daughters and, and your friends and people are trying to raise this amount for you so that they can get that you can get this operation done sooner. But what is the plan then? What is the how are we gonna raise these funds? Uh, any way we can to get the story out there, any way that um, we can get to that point of having the hip replaced so that we know where we can go from there. Yeah. Once that is done, then we can have the MRI done. And we can see, okay, this is the extent of damage on the spine. Yes, we can do something. No, we can't do something. There's a whole lot of factors. My nerves were severed in the first accident, so I don't have all my nerves. Um, I haven't stood in and urinated since 2005. I sit down. I, I go to the toilet and I sit down. And now my legs go dead. I, I stand, I lose balance, and I fall over. My legs are, are just dead. My, I don't have feeling in my legs anyway as... From 2005, I've never had feeling in my legs. But now they go dead to a point where I fall over. My arms go dead. The last two weeks or so, my fingers are like almost permanently tingling, like a pins and needles sensation. That's got to do with nerves in your lower, your lumbar area. And the doctor says, once the hip is replaced, once that... The, the, the There's a line bone, and everything's good. Yeah, everything's lined up. Then those nerves, because what he suspects is one of those nerves are pinching. On that calcified bone, and that's what's causing that. Well, we're, we're, we are all about the good news, and it's called the Good Things Guy jackpot. And our listeners and our readers, they generally do have big hearts, and and when they hear stories that mean something to them, they tend to come up with really creative ways to raise money and and to assist. So we're hoping that after today's show, that we're able to give you an update. And I'm not talking about you, Sean. I'm talking about our listeners. We'll oh, give God. them an update as to maybe some good things that have come from this. Um, I want to thank you so much for oh, sharing no, your I story you. i want to thank you, thank you uh, for stopping to share some stories no um, <laughs> i'm kidding um but it's been great having you on the show and you are really just a, a ray of light like thank you. um thank you. what you've been through is absolutely traumatic but you have this great aura about you thank you're incredibly you. positive and and i want to thank you for just keeping on i want to thank you for doing what you do no no this, this show is not listen, about listen, me listen listen, listen. It's, uh, a little bit of ego doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> it has been so great having you on okay. the show. Guys, thanks for tuning in and thanks for subscribing and doing all the things that you're supposed to do. My listeners are the only reason why this podcast exists. We are doing great things here at Jackpod. And, and I just want to thank my listeners for continuing to, to tap in and, and pick up on the good things. Go look at the new site. Go look at the new website. There we go. The new website. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. No problem. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and only good things. That's it. Wishing you only good things. And for more good things, visit www.goodthingsguy.com. Okay? Love you. Bye.